Man. Well, we celebrate with Linda and what God has done and is doing in her life. And we celebrate uh, Tyler uh, and Robin and how they are really embodying what it means to live sent, something we talk about uh, here all the time. Uh, Tyler, just by being uh, who God has created him to be and just being willing to, to just let someone know uh, how much they matter uh, to him and ultimately to God and Robin for her investment and Linda as she continues to disciple her. And really, uh, you know, that's our prayer for every person uh, who is here today or might be watching online this morning uh, is that you would be connected with uh, people who would walk with you as you seek to follow Jesus. And if you're visiting with us or watching for the first time, we're so glad uh, that you are with us. And, and we would love to get you connected. If you are not already, uh, you can uh, text the word connect uh, to the number that is going to appear on the screen. And one of our team members will follow up with you. And we'd love to help you uh, learn what it means to be a part of our church. Uh, also, as was uh, prayed about and was mentioned in the welcome, I want to invite you uh, to our community Thanksgiving uh, meal on Thursday. Uh, we have uh, a lot of people who are volunteering to deliver meals and help uh, with preparation, and so we praise God for that. And uh, if you don't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving, then we would love for you to join us uh, for that meal. You can find more information uh, in your bulletin. All right. Well, who knows what this is? All right, if you grew up in church, this is sor- I didn't grow- yeah, if you grew up in church, this is sorcery, so you might not know uh, what this is. But I did not grow up in church, and so I had one of these when I was a kid. And I actually thought, until researching for today, that uh, this was just a, a, a toy of the late 80s, early 90s, but actually, the Magic 8-Ball was created, invented in the 1940s, and became popular amongst preteens and teens, and then uh, it kind of made another uh, resurgence. Uh, into uh, the popular culture in the early 1970s and then again in the late 80s, early 90s. And it's not caught on again, but maybe since I'm such a trendsetter uh, and I have it right now, uh, it will catch on again. But for those of you who don't know what the Magic 8-Ball is, basically you shake it and it gives you an answer. And so, you know, you might say, is my boyfriend or girlfriend uh, right now the person I'm gonna marry? And then you would shake it and it would give you an answer. Or, you know, should I do what my parents said, and it would give you an answer, and uh, am I going to be rich one day, and it would give you an answer, so um, I don't think many people use it uh, still, like if you asked it, are the Gators going to win um, again, and the answer is outlook not so good, <laughs> or should I preach for over an hour today, don't count on it, yeah, okay, because you, you guys will start walking out, uh, should I trust Pastor Justin, cannot predict now, so I guess I'll have to ask that question later. Now, that might be silly to you, but it really isn't that far from how many people make choices in their life. I often hear people talk about how they make decisions or made some decision based on some sort of sign. They know they're dating the right person because that song came on the radio. Or when they went out to eat at Taco Bell, they both ordered the same thing off of the menu. Or they knew they should pursue this opportunity because the person who asked them was wearing their favorite color. Or they knew that they should take the job with that company because they heard the name of that company three times that day, even though the company is named ITT, and so they heard the word it three times that day. They make some major life decision because of what their horoscope 
said that day or what they read on a billboard. And so we let the misspelled fortune cookie from First Choice Chinese Buffet, the radio talk show host, or the magic eight ball determine our relationships, where we work, and how we spend our time and money. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's not that far from how many people determine their life's direction and make choices in their life. And I am talking about many who aren't really serious about Christianity and many of those who are. I want you to hear something that's very important. And I'm just gonna state it plainly. Looking for signs is a sign of spiritual blindness. Looking for signs is a sign of spiritual blindness. Now, you might be taken back by that statement a little bit because some sign is what has gotten you to where you are today in general or specifically. Or because based on your personality, you struggle with security if you don't have some kind of sign of affirmation. Or because that's just what you learned and what you have done. And it's okay if you feel that way, but it's not okay if you stay that way after today. And I wanna show you why this is so important. And I'm not talking about this because I've been scrolling social media and I just got so aggravated with people uh, that talk about signs that I'm finally taking a moment to rant about it. I'm not talking about this today because I have a friend in this room who's really into signs and this is my passive aggressive way of showing them they're wrong. I don't have a problem with a 90s pop group, Ace of Base, who saw the sign and it opened up their eyes. <laughs> We're walking through the gospel of Mark to learn from Jesus. And that walk through the gospel of Mark is what prompted what I'm saying today. I want to read, from you, read to you from Mark chapter 8, verse 10 through 13. And immediately, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they once again crossed the Galilee, as they have been doing throughout our journey in this gospel, this time uh, to a town that is either in Magdala or is itself Magdala. Matthew tells us in his account in chapter 16, verse 1, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are present. Mark tells us that the Pharisees argue with him, seeking a sign from heaven. Now, I think it's pretty obvious from what Mark writes that they weren't just thinking we need a sign of confirmation. In fact, it tells us why they want us to see a sign. It tells us to test him. They were trying to prove, actually, that Jesus is from Satan. I know this because previously they said he is from Satan. So that's how I know that. And so, once again, they're not denying the power of Jesus. They're just questioning the source of the power of Jesus. In fact, denying the source of the power of Jesus. And Mark says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit... When they ask this, he audibly exhales because of what he feels in his spirit. 
And he asked them, why are you looking for a sign? And he tells them no sign will be given to this generation. And then he gets back in the boat and heads out. Now, Matthew and Mark are consistent in their accounts of which they give witness. And yet they offer unique insights And Matthew actually helps us understand a little more about what Jesus said here. So if you turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, that's one book back. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 2, says, He, Jesus, answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Jesus says you can look at the sky and you can see what that means, what kind of day is going to happen, but you can't see the signs of the times. Jesus is pointing to the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They have some complex views about faith, about life, but they are missing some pretty basic things. I've always been amazed at how incredibly intelligent people can miss some very elementary aspects of life, faith, religion, and doctrine. I mean, some of the moral arguments in our country about the direction we should head just deny very basic logic Some people who adhere to certain religions just do so without really any intelligent approach to the faith that they belong to. And in fact, many who profess to be Christian believe things that if you just have a simple understanding of the Bible, you know are not true. And some of that might be immaturity. Some of that might be ignorance, but it's not always the case. And here Jesus is taking the angle that the Pharisees are not just immature or ignorant, but there's more. Verse 4 in Matthew 16. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Now Jesus says a lot in this one verse. So let's start with the fact that he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be very familiar with the idea of an evil and adulterous generation because that's how different generations of Israel were characterized in the Old Testament. The Israelites had generations that they knew were characterized in that way. You have the generation who builds the golden calf and ultimately doesn't enter into the promised land because of their lack of faith in God. In the Minor Prophets, you have these descriptions of generations that conform to the uh, patterns of Babylon or the patterns of Assyria with their religion and their lifestyle. And so Jesus says of this generation of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes who are looking for a sign, he says, you are like the Israelites that you read about. He uses the word adulterous. I said that Looking for a sign is a sign of spiritual blindness. I've said that if you have been looking for a sign up until now, then that's okay. But if you continue to look for a sign after today, it's not. That for some, we look for signs because we're immature or we're ignorant. 
But what I would suggest to you today is this. Continuing to look for signs is committing spiritual adultery. Continuing to look for signs is committing spiritual adultery. In the life of Jesus, which the Pharisees and scribes and crowd have witnessed so far, there has been healing. There has been teaching with authority. There have been other miracles. You might say that there has been a sign, sign, everywhere a sign. But then they say to Jesus, can you give us a sign? You see, the reason why they're asking this is because the Pharisees would only accept a sign that said, you will have power. You will have prosperity. You will have respect and status. Jesus is saying, you are ignoring what has been said by God and what I have said. The question is, is what I'm saying true? And often when people hear the truth, they say, no, that can't be true. Let me shake the eight ball again and get a different answer. That's why a lot of people don't commit to God or really any faith. And they bounce from faith to faith and guide to guide and God to God. Looking to the stars maybe for what the stars tell them. And then when the stars don't tell them what they want to hear, they look to some ancient philosopher like Confucius or someone else to what they might have to say. And then when that doesn't work, they look to more modern philosophy and ideologies from somebody like Oprah or some other celebrity. Basically, to use God's words, they're prostituting themselves to whoever tells them what they want to hear at that time or about that specific issue. But this is also how many who profess faith in God, faith in Jesus even, live as well. Basically, choosing their church, choosing their pastor, choosing their spiritual leader based on what they want to hear at that time with no fidelity to what is actually true. And this is why there, today there is such a commitment to these churches that essentially tell you what you want to hear. Churches with sermons that essentially say, you need to trust your instincts and shake all the haters off, which makes for a better Taylor Swift song than it does a sermon. Or churches that are saying, you're going to have a breakthrough. Your destiny awaits as long as you just keep doing you. And churches that say, God is on your side without any regard to what God actually says is right. But God must be on our side because we are so awesome. You keep believing that. And this appeals to people because you believe in yourself. You've been taught that as an American. Believe in yourself. And you're looking for a sign that validates you and what you think God owes you. And like the Pharisees, you are asking for a sign that just says you will be awesome. You will have power. You will have prosperity. And the Pharisees look for a sign. And Jesus points them to the scripture. In a very similar interaction with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, some have even said this is just two different parts of the same interaction. We get a little more insight into what Jesus says about those who are looking for signs. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. If you are living your life based on signs, if you are looking for signs, you are missing two important aspects of life. Repentance and wisdom. If you are looking for signs, you are missing two important aspects of life. Repentance and wisdom. Jesus is saying that the people need to repent. They're going to be given the sign of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, Jonah himself was the sign from God. He was a prophet that declared judgment and repentance. His message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he says to the Pharisees, this is the same sign you get. The message to repent, coming from one who is greater than Jonah. Repentance means to change your mind. It means to change your purpose. It means to turn away from the way you're living and turn to God. Perhaps your life is not going in the right direction. Perhaps today you cannot seem to find contentment and purpose for your life. Perhaps as you watch online this morning, you are continually in relationships that are in a rough spot. Maybe you keep giving in to your desires that lead you into bad decisions. And the Bible says that you need to examine what it is about you that got you there. Or that gets you there. You need to repent. And some of you, when you hear that, you shake the eight ball again. And say, let's see what the other church has to say about this. Oh, this one says do what you want. Or don't worry about those things. Just find a worship service that's the music you like. And has a church that has the programs that make you happy. Or the real issue is not really us, it's the world. So let's just gather together as Christians and talk about what's wrong out there and never talk about what's wrong in here. And Jesus says, I'm giving you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. It's the sign that you need to repent. But he also talks about wisdom. He refers to the queen of the south. That's the queen of Sheba, who in 1 Kings chapter 10, we learn, comes to Solomon to hear from Solomon. She sees that God is blessing Israel, that God is blessing Solomon, and she wants to know, what is it that I need to do? Now, you may not know a Solomon, but you know that there is wisdom out there. And you need to be looking for wisdom for your life. Why was Solomon wise? Because he trusted God. If God created it, then he obviously knows its purpose and he knows a lot about it. 
So to become wise, you need to do three things. Number one, you need to know what wisdom is. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding, the beginning of all wisdom. I need to recognize who God is and go to him for wisdom. Number two is you need to put yourself around wise people, people who recognize that and are living that. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If I ever come up to you and your friend and say that, I'll let you figure out what I mean by that. And number three, you need to continually check that wisdom and your application of that wisdom with what the word of God says. Like the queen of Sheba, you need to open your eyes to who God is and what he is doing and look to him and his word for wisdom. And Jesus says, there's judgment coming on those who are not looking to God for how they should live their lives. Now, I want to start wrapping up. I said start wrapping up, not wrap up. I want to start wrapping up by doing two things. I want to give you two questions and two statements that are all important for us to consider and meditate on as we leave today. The first question, why are we asking for signs about things that we don't know when we aren't applying what we do know? Why are we asking for signs about things that we don't know when we aren't applying what we do know? Instead of learning or trying to learn what everything might be hinting at, why don't we do what God has clearly told us to do? Now, I find that most people start looking for God or even keep themselves tethered to some sort of Bible study or church involvement mainly because they want God with them. And to try to find out what he says about how they should feel and specifics of relationship, vocation, life choices, but then neglect the very obvious things God says for them. They obsess about these areas that really are areas of liberty and pertain, as it pertains to specific life choices, looking for signs about those specific life, life choices when the Bible clearly says some things. I would say this to you. If you're trying to find out from God about specific situations all the time that the Bible doesn't speak directly to, but then you're not concerned with the very basic aspects of what it means to be a Christian. I'll use our five discipleship essentials that we have as, as a church. It's not the way, it's just a way, our way of saying, hey, this is kind of what it means to be a believer. We, we are people who worship, right? We, we gather together for corporate worship because we believe the Bible and what the New Testament says, and, and that's because we're people who surrender our whole lives in worship to God. We grow together in the word because that, again, is what we see described for us, prescribed for us as well in the Bible. And we are believers who are, who are interacting with the word. We serve because the Bible tells us we should all be using our gifts for the building up of the body. We, we give because God's grace is abundant to us when we give and he's called us to do that in response to the indescribable gift of Jesus and we reach people with the gospel because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. We're all called to do that. And I would just say to you, 
If you're asking God to give you specific direction in your life, but you disregard all that, you really don't care what God wants to do with your life. You just want God to help you achieve whatever you think is the dream for your life. He's not really God. You're God. You don't really serve him. He serves you. Howard Hendricks says this, 95% of the will of God is revealed to us in the Bible. If we will focus on that, the other 5% will work itself out. So in light of that, I'll ask this question. Why are we searching for signs about the 5% of God's will for our lives when Scripture contains 95% of God's will for our lives? Yes, it does not speak to every direct situation in my life, but it speaks to the person I should be. And who you are is more important than what you are, where you are, or even how you are. If you understand who God is and who God has called you to be, then that transcends the circumstances and the specifics of your life. And there is such incredible freedom in being someone whose heart is set on doing what God has called them to do and living the life that God has called them to live and wherever that might take you. Now, Jesus knows that there is hesitation initially, and then I would say even ongoing for people to trust God's will, especially when God's will isn't what we naturally want or when there are some other ideas out there or when we have insecurities that really affect us believing that God is for us. And that's why throughout the scriptures, and specifically throughout the life of Jesus, Jesus says things like what he says in John 7, 17. He says this, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus says, hey, if you really want God, if you really seek the truth, if you begin to apply what I say, what God says in his word, you'll know that it's from God. I mean, one of the issues with faith and one of the issues in trusting God is that a lot of the Bible are about these promises of what God is going to do and, and what eternity is gonna look like. And so sometimes we wrestle like in the meantime because we, we know the character of God, we believe the character of God, but yet, you know, when's that gonna come about? And the disciples really thought about this a lot. And they asked Jesus, hey, you're talking about this triumphant day when you return and everything is restored, but when is that gonna happen? And, and I, I wanna look at Matthew chapter 24, and I'm not gonna read all of it. I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 24 on your own time. We'll actually be getting there uh, sometime next year. I don't know when. It's gonna take us a minute, but we'll be getting there. But I'm just gonna give you some glimpses into this conversation Jesus has with disciples. So in verse three, it says, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So he's like, okay, so when's this gonna happen? And what are the signs that we're gonna know this is about to happen? And, and Jesus says some stuff. And as he gets on to verse 24, he says something very important for us. For false Christ... And false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus says, be careful looking for signs because there are going to be those who appear and give false signs. Michael Wilkins says the problem with a sign is that it can be interpreted different ways. 
we can manipulate signs. You might have a song with that guy and you get in the car and he's programmed the Apple Music playlist and your song just happens to appear as you're riding the car together and he says it is a sign from God and you say it must be. He's manipulated that situation. Actually, at my last church, I remember a guy going up to a girl and saying, hey, God told me that um, I'm gonna marry you. And she said, well, you must believe in a different God because he hadn't told me that. <laughs> and she was right. She married somebody else. So, um, hey, let me just say this because I have a daughter. If a dude ever tells you that, <laughs> come talk to me about that. <laughs> I'd be happy to show him the scripture. So, uh, Mike Cosper says this. This is a great quote. When you want to believe, there are people who want you to believe in them. We are believers by nature. And people prey on that. You know, I don't know why this is true, but even amongst what might be popular Christianity today, you often hear pastors that are saying like, there's just... There's someone in here today and God is telling me blah, blah, blah. Are we checking that? Because Jesus says a false prophet says one prophecy and they're wrong. They're a false prophet. When a pastor makes this blanket statement and says God's telling everybody this is gonna happen. If it doesn't happen for everybody, they're a false prophet. But we are attracted to those things and deceived by that kind of messaging. And we might think, well, then why doesn't God just prove himself and prove these people wrong? And, and I think that sometimes, and, and here's why. Because it doesn't matter. The people who are looking for that kind of stuff are gonna keep looking for that kind of stuff no matter what God says. And that sign that God gives us will not be what causes someone to believe. Jesus said this whenever he's talking to the rich man or, you know, about um, going to tell his, his, his relatives from hell about hell. And he says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not gonna believe if someone came from hell. And I would also say to you, when you say, why has it God proven himself? He has. Is your heart beating? Are you taking another breath? Have you looked outside and seen the glories of God? And Jesus came. And he rose. And there were witnesses who saw him alive who could have disproved that he was alive. You see, the Pharisees didn't believe Jesus. Jesus says to them, John 12, 37, though he had done so many signs before him, they still not, did not believe in him. Jesus is saying, you're still not gonna believe in me. And people tend to believe in this generic God and want God to prove himself directly. And the reason they want that is because they're not actually believing what he has shown because there are things about God that they do not like. And I said I had two statements and one of them is this. God's will is obvious, but it's not easy. God's will for your life is obvious, but it's not easy. And that's why a lot of people run from it. And that's why a lot of people want something else. I mean, if you look at what Jesus teaches us, it's simple to come to him, but it is not easy to follow him. In our nature, we want ourselves to be exalted. But back to the question of when will we know that Jesus is coming back? Jesus says at the end of Matthew 24, verse 29 and 30, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light 
and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. My kids and I, in the morning, we, we listened to the Bible on our way to school and we got done listening to the book of Revelation just recently and as, as I listened to it, like, and what stood out to me and what stood out to them of all the things in Revelation is Jesus is king. And when he comes back, it's not gonna be like, oh, when's the secret code say that Jesus is coming back? Jesus is gonna come back as a triumphant king and it's gonna be obvious. Jesus' return will be obvious. And he has called us not to fixate on the signs of the times of when he's coming back, but to be fixated on the fact that the Holy Spirit has given us power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You see, when God creates, it's glorious and it reveals how great he is. God is the kind of God that when he shows up to fulfill his promise, he shows up himself as the Messiah king who gives his life as a ransom for many. God is the kind of God that writes his word and when we receive the word, it plants in us and it's like a seed that bursts forth into a a tree that produces fruit. There is no question, am I a Christian? God's spirit and his word produce fruit in the life of a Christian. And when Jesus comes back, it's not gonna be, is that him? All will see who he is and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father. And if you will repent where you need to repent, and trust in him and keep looking to him for wisdom. If you'll stop living a faith that is like this and start living a faith that is like this, you will experience a freedom like nothing else, a freedom that you were created for and you don't need a magic eight ball or to hear the right song on the radio or get a word spelled in your alphabet soup, or a pastor that says, I have a word for you. I don't care about the word you have for me. I care about the living word who was given for me and who has promised me victory. And so as Christians, we fixate not on where we want our life to be and the dreams we have for our life, but the fact that Jesus Christ came for us. We decrease, he increases, and we respond to that. And we trust that whatever we choose about that job or whatever we choose about where we live, if we're looking to him, he is for us. And we don't doubt that because if God gave his son for us, how will he not with him graciously give us All things, the God who has put his glory clearly on display in creation has sent his son for you and he gives you his spirit to empower you and his word to equip you and guide you. I don't need this garbage. I have Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the undeniable reality that the heavens declare the glory of God. But even more than that, the word of God has been spoken to us to give us life. And even more than that, the fullness of the glory of God was pleased to dwell in the word which became flesh and dwelt among us.
And you came as a ransom for our lives so that we would not be captured by the empty philosophies of this world, but that we would be called sons and daughters who reign with you for all of eternity. And God, if we in this world doubt that, when you come, all will see. And so we as Christians, in the meantime, we live a life trusting in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So God, if there's somebody here today and they've been running to every philosophy, looking for everything to give them identity, I pray that they would see who they are in you, that they would repent, that they would turn to you. And God, I pray that as Christians, we would be creatures of the word of God, trusting in who you've created us to be and living in the freedom of that. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.